Hi, everyone. Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us, and he has a word for you today. We are sure of it. Take some time out to listen, and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. All right, family, we're going to do things a little different today because I want to do our Bible confession first before we pray because I want to read you a scripture before we do that. So if you would, let's do this Bible confession together. Let's go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. For our very first scripture before we pray, it's out of the book of Jeremiah. It'll be your first image for today. You have read this thing. If you've been in church for any length of time, uh, you've read this. It's the, it's the image number one. It's the one where it says, God tells Jeremiah, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, or I know the thoughts that I have towards you in the King James Version. Thoughts of good, peace. Woo, you guys are getting there. Let's keep it right there. Um, but it's the, it's the one that's number one. This first one says, <laughs> sounds good. Jeremiah 29 and 11, King James Version. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here. Lord, we never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Family, before we get into our second image, something that jumped in my mind, I have a Smith story for you. Haven't told you a Smith story in a while, but this one's fresh. If it were bread, you could smell it already. <laughs> my wife and I were doing some banking stuff. And in doing banking stuff, we ended up getting some credit reports. And now there are three basic credit rating agencies, but when we get our materials, something is a little off on mine as it relates to what they have as my birthday. The first thing they have wrong is they have my birth month incorrect. Just one of the agencies. The birth month they have is December, and I'm an August baby. At least that's what my mama tell me, you know, so you got to go by that because mama apparently was deaf. But here is the other thing. They got my birth year wrong, too. Now, just guess what year they had me being born. Just guess. 86. Give me another one. Last year. <laughs> this agency has me being born December 30th, 
pause, wait for it, 1899. <laughs> That's what Greta said. Greta said, I said, girl, black don't crack. <laughs> Almost 125 years ago. And now they got my social security number. All the stuff on my credit report is right. But they will not let me simply, maybe can I upload a, a, a driver's license or something, just change the date to the right date. No, I got to do a request. I said, so you mean to tell me I'm talking to you, a person born in 1899, and it can't be no easier than this? So I got to, I got to copy driver's license and social security card and package it and send it to them for them to make the change. But you got my social. That shit already linked to... Let me tell you, it's things, you can't get no... Sometimes real life is so crazy you can't even make it up. What, what is the message for you? Check your stuff. Every year, serious, you can get one for free. Go through and see what they have on you. Because what you think is you may not be you. Just a little note. All right. Let's get back, let's get back into this thing. Give me the second image. The second image is something that, family, you've seen over and over and over again. We are on our vision category, re-engage, and that goal is re-engage life regardless of the fear or failure and re-engage it without condemnation, knowing that if you fall in the process, your risen king has empowered you to get up. Now, we have been talking about this for quite some time, and I'm going to ask you a question. If I show you a set of numbers, which is coming up real soon, I want you to just kind of think. It's kind of Wesley Chapel trivia. Let me know if anything jumps to mind. Look at these two numbers. Two numbers. The number three and the number 20. I like that. Ephesians 3.20, somebody in the world, anybody else. All right, now, that's a difficult thing for me to ask you to do, and, and I am an Ephesians 3.20 fan, but let me tell you, if I put it in a different context and then pause a little bit more, tell me what you think these two numbers mean. Look at this next image. Now, what we have is the vision. We have next to restore the number three, next to re-engage the number 20, and, of course, next to rebuild, nothing yet. Anything come to mind yet? Hey, hey, hey. Yes. Now, get this. Restore three weeks. Restore, restore your belief, your faith, confidence in God and, and yourself and, and in others. But 20 sessions, and you know they're weeks, not consecutive necessarily, but 20 sessions on re-engage. Why in the world 20 sessions on re-engage? Because let me tell you, to get somebody to make the decision that they're going to fully re-engage in life is challenging after. After what, pastor? After they've been hurt. After they've been disappointed. After they've been scarred. 
it's hard to get somebody to re-engage life to its, to its fullest after they've been broken, after they're in fear, after they've said to themselves, well, I'm too old, after they've said, I've tried already, after they've told themselves that I don't think nothing's going to change. We put all that work into it because it's hard to get somebody to re-engage life after you're wanting them to say, yes, let's re-engage, and they're telling you, I've already concluded the answer is no. So what did I do? I, I rolled up my spiritual sleeve and said, God, how can we get everybody to say yes? Yes, I want to re-engage life. Yes, I want to point my life towards rebuilding it again. Yes, God, how do I do that? And what did we do? God said, well, here's what you got to say. And we had some real adult, leave your, the onesie outside, put on your big boy and big girl draws, and let's talk discussions. Those discussions were things like this. Hey, you got to stop going back to those old relationships and old situations that were bad for you. Those things are like tombs, and you do not find life in a tomb. We said, when you get ready to re-engage life, you might be happy. Thank the Lord, you want to tell everybody. But your plan to re-engage may be your best-kept secret because not everybody's going to support your plan. God wants you to rise, and you can. But before you do, you got to take a good, hard look at your social network and make sure that the people in your network promote your success and not failure, that the people in your network are about you having life and not death. Oh, but then we said we could say that a little different. Everybody in your network is either the right person or the wrong person. And what you need to do is identify that wrong person or those wrong people, and you need to do it honestly. I don't care if they're your mama or your auntie. I don't care who they are in relation to you. I don't care how long you've known them, but make sure you get a good hard look at them and determine if they're the wrong person that what I'm getting ready to do is I'm going to either eliminate your influence on my plan to get to my faith, to my feet, or what I'm going to do is do something that's going to greatly minimize your effect on me trying to rise. And once you've gone through all that, recognize that in your stride to rise, you're going to find that it is easier to rise. You can go and move swifter, and you can soar higher if you put down the weight of condemnation. It's hard to run a marathon with 100 pounds on your back. Anybody, I've never been, but anybody who's ever rucked in the military will tell you that it's one thing to strap up your shoes and go running with just your clothes on. But when you get on that backpack, 100 pounds, or you got to carry your buddy up the hill, it's a whole different ball game. Condemnation is a weight that ties you down. 
Every time you make a move, you wonder why you're so slow, why you're so sluggish, why you can't get to where you want to get to as soon as you thought you should be able to. It's because you're carrying extra weight with you. Ditch the weight. We have gone through 20 sessions of re-engage, and today is session 21, and today we will close the book on that category. We're going to shut it down. In shutting it down, though, I want to pose to you some questions. And those questions that I'm going to present to you are staged in Jeremiah 29. It's our launching place. Look at this. We've already read it in King James, but just for good measure, Jeremiah 29 and 11, King James, for I know the thoughts, this is God talking to Jeremiah, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. In the easy to read, I say this because I know the plans that I have for you. This message is from the Lord. I have good plans for you. I don't plan to hurt you. I plan to give you hope and a good future. The Message Bible, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I've I've, I've, I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future that you hope for. Come on, somebody. Now, this is God's words to Jeremiah. And those who are comfortable or used to or grew up with the King James, you always read it. God's going to give you an expected end. But other versions put it in a better way, in my opinion. God's going to give you a hope and a future. Or the Message Bible, the one that bring that thing home for me is, God's not going to just give you a hope and a future. He's going to give you the future that you hope for. That's a different level of giving right there. The future that you hope for. This is God's word to Jeremiah back then. But I don't believe that God just wants that, that, wants that to be for people back then. I believe that this is God's sentiment to us right here, right now. That he knows the thoughts he has for us. That he has good plans for us. That he has a good future for you that he is designed not to abandon you, that he doesn't want to hurt you, that he wants to provide and take care of you. God wants to give you the future that you hope for. It's God's thought toward you, towards me. Now we begin to rest in my question, though, or questions. Because all of these questions are about basically one statement, and that's, what about you? We know the thoughts God has for us. You know the thought God got for you. We read it. But the question around the whole deal is this. Next image. What about you? What thoughts do you have toward you? Do you believe that you have value? Do you believe 
that you have a future? Do you believe that you can be more than what you are? What thoughts do you have about you? We know what God's thoughts are about you. And your next set of questions are really one. I just broke them out to make them clearer. The second really question is four words. Do you believe God? Do you believe God? Now, we can fill in the blank, but do you believe? And not just do you believe, do you believe that God can and will? Believing that somebody can do something is one level. Believing that they will do it is a whole different ballgame. Do you believe that God can and that God will? That God can and do what? That God can implement his plan in your life. That God can do it. What is it? Give you the future that you hope for. That God can put you in a position to have joy unspeakable. Do you believe God can? Do you believe God can do it? Do it, yes. Do it in you. Do it with you. Do it through you. Do it for you. Do you believe that God can? And then, next step, do you believe that he will? Do you believe that God will do it in you? Do you believe that God will do it through, for, and with you? Do you believe it? And all of these tie together because if you believe God will, I believe that you believe God will because he looks at you and he sees value. If you believe that God will, you have to also believe that when God looks at you, he sees you as precious, not pitiful. He sees you as a treasure, not trash. You have to believe that God sees value in you. So what thoughts do you think towards you? Because if you don't think you deserve it, if you think you're below, below his 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 grace, if you think you, you're not worth anybody caring for, then you can't even get yourself to believe that God, who looked at you like that, would even do anything for you. So what about you? When you are moving from re-engage and we are pointing towards rebuild, you have to step in your real rebuild season with belief. That's unshakable, unmovable. You have to believe that I am worth a better future. You have to believe that God can and God will do for me. You cannot step into your rebuild phase of your life wimpy, doubting, and faithless. You can't do it. It won't work. You have to believe. There's an account in the New Testament where they call him the rich young ruler. Comes to Jesus and say, hey, good master, what can I do to earn eternal life or to gain eternal life, whatever the word is. Jesus is like, you know what? As a matter of fact, there is at least one version, one book in the Bible that says, you know, Jesus looked at him and loved him or something like that. But he asked the question, Jesus said, here's what you do. Here's my summary. He says, right now you depend on your riches. 
I want you to distance yourself from your riches, disconnect from that kind of trust, and put all of your trust and confidence in God. Pick up your cross and come and follow me. The Bible says that this man went away sad because he had great riches. Later in his conversation with his disciples, Jesus said this. Notice this. This is in Mark, chapter 10, verse 25 through 27 in Amplified Classic. Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were shocked and exceedingly astonished and said to him and to one another, who can be saved? Jesus glanced around at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Now, verse 27 only in the voice, easy to read, and the message. The voice says, Jesus said, for human beings it is impossible, but not for God. God makes everything possible. Easy to read. Jesus said, he looked at them and he said this. This is something people cannot do, but God can. He can do anything. And the Message Bible, Jesus says, he put it bluntly, by the way, no chance at all if you think you can pull it off by, your, by yourself. Every chance in the world if you let God do it. Family, when you're getting ready to leave out of re-engage and rebuild, you have to believe. The task to rebuild that relationship, to rebuild that marriage, to rebuild that business, to rebuild that confidence. That task may look enormous. It may look like it's something you cannot accomplish on your own. But realize that everything, all things are possible with God. When you look at it and you don't think you can, realize that God makes everything possible. When you look, look at it and you don't think you can make it, guess what? God can do anything. When you realize that God is with you in this effort to rebuild, you step out of your re-engage phase realizing that, oh, you know what? I may not be able to do this on my own. I may have little to no chance, but I have every chance in the world if I let God do it. Your belief is key. You can't let your belief go. You can't put your belief down. You got to hold on to your belief when you walk through this life and trying to rebuild something, trying to establish anything. But rebuilding takes a little bit of extra effort because in rebuilding, sometimes you got to tear down before you rebuild. Sometimes you got you to you test to see if that foundation can handle it before you put something new on it. You want to go from a one-story to a two-story. Can what's on the one-story handle a two-story? You don't know. you got to test it. Sometimes you got to break the foundation and fortify it and then rebuild. You need your belief system to be strong when you're getting ready to go into the rebuild stage. So in the re-engage stage, we're going to make sure you don't leave this joker without saying you need to have your belief intact. And your belief is key. Here is why your belief is in key. Jesus is key. Jesus once came in contact with two blind men. They said, Jesus, 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 
Can you make us see? That's, that's my version. Can you make us see Jesus? And look at this. Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 29. Easy to read. As Jesus was going away from there, two blind men followed him. That's a, that's a feat in and of itself. Two blind men following him. I mean, they had a beat on him. Keep talking, Lord. I need to keep, I need to keep, okay. I need to keep following you. Two blind men followed him. They said loudly, show kindness to us, son of David. Jesus went inside, and the blind men went with him. He asked them, family, read this with me. What did he ask? Do you believe that I'm able to make you see again? I know, obviously, you think I can. But do you believe that I can? Do you have the belief that I can? They answered, yes, Lord, we believe. Then Jesus touched their eyes and said, you believe that I can make you see again, so it will happen. They go hand in hand. It's one thing to believe that God can. It's another thing to believe that he will but you got to even get to the point to believe that he can. Can do what, though? Let's get back to our questions and let's make it a little bit more granular. Do you believe that God can give you the life that you want? Do you believe he will give you the life that you dream, that you hope for, that you desire? That's your wish. Do you believe that God can? And once you believe that he can, do you believe that he will? Will he give you that dream, that hope? Will he give you that wish? Will he give you that future that you hope for? Will God take that person that you look at in the mirror that you wish were different and transform that person into the person you aspire to be? Do you believe that he can? Do you believe that he will? Or better yet, do you believe that God can take you as you are right now and work a work in you and begin to transform you into not just the person you aspire to be, but a person who has, has, ooh, what's the, has an outward manifestation of the person he created you to be, the person he designed you to be. Sometimes you can get to a certain place that you say, hey, back then, this is where I wanted to be. This is who I wanted to be. But then something in your spirit says, but God, got, God has more for you. You have reached a certain place, but God has a design in you, for you, for much better. Do you believe that God cannot take you, not only take you to who you aspire to be, but who you cre he created you to be? Do you believe? Because your belief is key. Jesus says, do you believe I can do it? I know what you're asking me to do. But do you believe I can do it? Yeah, you want your family back intact. Do you believe I can do it? You want your health intact. Do you believe I can do it? 
You want X, you want Y, you want Z, you fill in the blank, but do you believe I can do it? We spent these last several sessions drilling down into condemnation because condemnation obstructs belief. When you are in condemnation, it is hard for you to clear the fog and believe that God can and will do anything for you because you feel guilty. You're living in pity and shame. But there is no condemnation in God. I want you to think quickly back. Prodigal son. The prodigal son said what to his daddy when he came back? Look at this. The prodigal son, Luke chapter 15, verse 21, easy to read. The son said, Father, I've sinned against God and have done wrong to you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. After all he done did, after all he done said, this boy coming back to his daddy he can't even fathom why his father would even show him any kindness, any compassion. After all he's done, there is no way my father will do anything for me as I stand here in front of him covered in this stain. What stain? Stain of my disobedience? Stain of my disrespect? Stain of my error? Stain of my failure? There is no way my father will do anything for me. I, I, would, I can't even get my heart to believe that he will. But the father does. Why? Because the father sees through the stain. The father knows this, that it's about the sonship, not the stain. And if it, had been a, if it had been a girl, it's about the daughtership, not the stain. I care more about you being my son than anything that you've done wrong. Your wrong can't erase who you are to me. Your wrong can't erase my heart for you. Your wrong doesn't erase your bloodline. The father sees through the stain and sees the son. God's the same way. God sees the best version of you even through your mistake. And when it comes for God doing for you, it's about the sonship, not your stain. It's about the childship, not your stain. God wants to do for you but you have to believe that the Father can and the Father will. But if you see yourself in the mirror through a stain, that stain will convince you that why should God do anything for me? It blocks your belief. Also think about this. Mephibosheth. In 2 Samuel, look at this. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 7 through 8, easy to read. David has called Mephibosheth, who's lame in both feet, living in Lodabar. David said to him, 
don't be afraid. I will be kind to you because of your father, Jonathan. I will give back to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you will always be able to eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed to David again and said, I am no better than a dead dog, but you are very kind to me. Mephibosheth looks at his current condition, looks at how he's been living, and he cannot fathom why the king would even ever want to do anything good for him. Why would he show me any love? Why would he show me any compassion? Why would he want to do anything for me? Especially given in Mephibosheth's own estimation compared to the king, his own words, if I'm nothing more than a dead dog. He's thinking of himself in a manner that blocks his belief that the king would invite him here to do anything good for him. But David does do good to him. The king does do good to him because the king wants to do good to him because of his relationship, not his error, not his life history, not his stain. It doesn't matter how you've been living. It doesn't matter your injury. I want to do good for you because of the family you're connected to. Amen. The king wants to do him good and make him happy, and that's the same thing with our king. We have a risen king. His name is Jesus. And Jesus wants to do us good and make us happy. He's not looking at our stain. He wants to do us good and make us happy, and he's made all the arrangements to make it the case. What is that arrangement? To put us in position to be one with God again, to put us in position to be in the family. And once we're in the family, we have the right relationship for God to look at us, not through our stain, but through Christ. And when he looks at us through Christ, that gives us the opportunity for everything Jesus wants to have us have in life to get. Because God will do because Jesus paid it all. Just like Mephibosheth, we have a king, a risen king, that wants to do us good. And he's made the arrangements with the father to give God the green light to make that good a reality. But you got to believe. You can't consider yourself a dead dog. You can't consider yourself trash. You're a treasure. You're not pitiful. You're precious. If I took all of what I just told you and I put it in a simple way, I would show you this. Family, God does not base his willingness to do for you on what you do or did wrong. He bases it on what Jesus did right. You can rehearse in your mind all day what you've done wrong in life. But when you put on the image of Christ, God sees you as right, in right standing with him. 
when you step out of re-engage and you begin to rebuild, take with you the belief that God is not looking at your stain. God is not looking at your mistakes. God is not looking at you as anything but someone who has the image of Christ and he is willing to do for you. Family, all you have to do, and I say all, I'm trying to figure out a different word because all is a three-letter word, but it's big. All you have to do is believe. I'm not saying that that's a simple thing, but let me put it in context. Your only part is to believe. God got everything else. When you're going to rebuild, don't try to think about where the money coming from. Don't try to think about where the favor's coming from. Don't try to think about where the job's coming from. Don't try to think about where the material coming from. Don't try to think about your education. Don't try to think about anything else. All you got to do is believe him and he will take care of the rest. He will move the pieces around. He will get the finances in your hand. He will, he will bring people from other countries to stand in front of you. He will start companies to get you a job. He will start, he will, he will have people say, there is no job in this company. Three weeks later, they're making a department to put your behind in the job. Don't, all you got to do is believe. They say there is no kind of way that kind of business can make it in your county. Don't listen. If God told you to start it, start it. You may have zero people in your county that come to your restaurant or come to your business to buy product, but every other county in the state go come to you. Because God told you to do it. All you got to do is believe it. If God said it, I believe it. If God said it, I believe it. If he said it, he'll do it. If he said it, I'll believe it. That's all you got to do. Believing is not small, but it's all you got to do. And because believing is so integral to all of this, there is something we got to do to block the devil before he even starts. Let's go ahead and punch a joker in the jaw before he throw the front first punch. Here's what I mean. Now, for a minute, even though I always ask you, don't put on your religion hat. We don't get religious in here. We, we, we call things, it, Pastor, I'm going to call things that be not as though they are. Joker, if you stink, we're going to tell you that you stink. We want you to call things as you, we want you to look at things as they, as they are. Have faith, but don't be blind to what you see. Let me tell you something real quick. Just a little side note. 
When my children were growing up, I, I think I told you this before, my, when my kids were growing up, they would come home and they would, you know, have somebody do something that one of them people they call a quote unquote friend. And I would always tell them, okay, baby, not, first of all, we need to learn from this. We need to learn. But your daddy wants you to believe people for who they show you they are, not for who they tell you they are. So even though you call him forth that be not, that your relative is going to clean his life up, you look at that stealing rascal for what they are and don't let them in your house and leave them in there by yourself and you losing watches and jewelry. That's your fault. But I want, you to, I want you to put on, just for a moment, I want you to put on your religion hat because the religion hat is what you're going to need to understand what I'm going to say when I tell you to take it off. Amen. So let's go, slip it on, slip on your, your religion do-rag or whatever they're going to be, and then here we go. As believers, we've, we've, we've seen this scripture all, all the time. You say yes to Jesus. He comes into your heart. He comes into your life. Here we have 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, in the King James. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things, all things, all things become new. Now, when you say that, and you, if you're in a traditional church, you come up, give a pastor your hand, and give Jesus your heart, right? And they tell you, looked at my hands, my hands looked new. Looked at my feet, and they did too. All things are new, my brother. Now, religiously, what that does and the trick of the enemy is, it puts you in the position to feel bad when you fall. Because when you said yes to Jesus, everything should have been new. I shouldn't have that vice no more. I shouldn't have those feelings no more. Everything should be new. Now snatch that off your head. Because when you say yes to Jesus, that does not mean that your life is mistake free. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you go gallivanting through through. Through, through, through life, and as you gallivant through life, you're kicking, and there's nothing but daisies around your feet, and you're never making any more mistakes. That's not how that works. There is a probability, a high one, that you are going to make a mistake after you said yes to Jesus. It's, it's, it's very possible that you're going to make a mistake. And when you make a mistake, family, do not allow that mistake to either draw you into condemnation if you've never been or draw you back into condemnation if, if you were fresh out and derail you from rebuilding your life. That condemnation because you made an error, because all things are supposed to be new and it's now caught you by surprise, now you're back in condemnation and you got to get re-engaged again. 
No. Do not let that derail you. Do not let that discourage you. You have your mindset on rebuilding whatever it is. Pick what it is. Family, job, business, career, your body. It doesn't matter. Your mind is set on it. When you slip and fall, pause. Shake it off and remind yourself that you are a work in progress. You're a work in progress. You said yes to Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you did. All things are become new. He's working it out in you. But if you make an error, know that you are a work in progress. Give me my next one. Let's drill this home. There's an account where we got a couple of blind men accounts here today, but where Jesus heals a blind man. Notice this, Mark chapter 8, in the voice, verses 22 to 25. When they came into Bethsaida, a group brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. So Jesus guided the man out of the village, away from the crowd, and he spat on the man's eyes. Nobody fight Jesus now. And he spat on the man's eyes and touched them. Jesus said, what do you see? The blind man opened his eyes and said, I see people, but they look like trees, walking trees. Jesus touched his eyes again, and when the man looked up, he could see everything clearly. Now, I want you to observe the progression. When Jesus touched the man, man's eyes, healing began. But the full manifestation of healing took time. First, he saw some things that look a little blurry. He wasn't seeing clearly. Healing was taking place, but after the first touch, healing was not immediate. At this moment, this man may be tempted to begin to doubt, to begin to no longer believe, to begin that everything that Christ has done is a failure to begin to believe that he would not have the vision or the future that he had hoped for. He could put himself in the position to begin to shut down or separate himself both emotionally and mentally from the process. If he were to shut down right now, you know what would happen? he would have been shutting down before the second touch. Loved ones, if he had shut down before the second touch, he would have missed the move of God that brought forth the full manifestation of what he was hoping for. It is the same thing with you and God. If you don't realize that you are a work in progress, 
when things aren't as clear as you hope them to be in the end, you may start to shut down emotionally, shut down mentally, and you may shut down on the first touch when God's got a second touch lined up for you. This man, thank God he didn't shut down. He stayed there and he appreciated the process. He appreciated the improvement. What was his improvement? First, he could see nothing. But at least now he could see something. First, he was in complete darkness. Now he see a little light. See a little light. If you're old enough, you will hear people say it like this. I'm not where I want to be. But thank God, I'm not where I used to be. I'm not who I want to be. But thank God, I'm not who I'm used I'm not who I used to be. Listen, I know I'm a work in progress. So I'm not going to discount where I am just because where I am is not where I want to end up. I'm going to appreciate the improvement. I'm going to appreciate it. It's the same thing with us. The enemy wants you to not look at the small improvements. But you got to look at the small improvements. Because when you slip, when you fall, if you don't look at the small improvements, you can get derailed. You got to look at them. Anybody who's ever successfully gotten through school, and I'm talking, well, it could be school, school, but college school, and it didn't come easy to you you realize that they give you a syllabus and it's got a bunch of semesters on there and a bunch of classes. You don't think you're going to get the graduation, but all you got to do is say, oh, I finished this semester. Oh, I finished this semester. Oh, I see, the devil going to say, you ain't going to finish it. Uh-uh, you a lie. I finished this semester. Why? Because I finished them three. I finished them six. I finished them eight. I finished them ten. You got to appreciate the improvement. You got to appreciate and don't discount and don't disconnect from the process. Stay for the second touch. Don't miss the next move of God because you moved away from God. Stay. There's a second touch for your life, a second touch for that relationship, a second touch for that home, a second touch for what you want to do, a second touch for what you want to be. Stay for the second touch. Learn to appreciate the improvement. Yeah, you're not going to live like life mistake free. But family, don't stare at the mistake Focus on the improvement. Don't stare at the mistake. Focus on the progress. You have to learn to appreciate the improvement, even if you got to appreciate the improvement out loud. 
talk it out loud, like this, talk it out loud to where everybody around you can hear. Talk it. Because if you look closely, there is improvement. Because you are in Christ. And God is working in you. There's improvement. There is improvement. Even in the, let's, let's give you this just like a ridiculous is not the right word. Just a, a, a way out there example. It's not way out. Because I know it probably applied to some of us. But look at here. You got to appreciate your improvement and be confident and strong and courageous to appreciate your improvement out loud. That's right. Hey, that person coming and getting your faith in a disrespectful manner. And you know, for some of us, that's going to cause some friction. They got words for you. Guess what? You got words for them. And so, you know, this is going, after the smoke clear, you do your appreciation because, you know, yes, we all accept, we all accept Jesus and we accept Jesus. That takes us out of the, 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 the hell bucket and put us into the heaven bucket. Now, some of us, when we were in the hell bucket, we weren't that much hellacious. But then there are other ones of us who were in the hell bucket and we had that, that thing on 10. And so for some of us, when we came to Jesus, we came out, we kind of smelled like a rose. Other, other ones of us, when we came out that bucket, we were still smoking. You still had a, you, you were saved, but you had, a little, you, had a little, you had a little tinge of smoke on you. You were saved, but your sneakers were still kind of bubbling a little bit. Because when you were over there, you were all the way over there. So what I'm saying is, when that person comes in your face and they are disrespecting you, and they saying what they're saying, listen, I understand, after the smoke clear, because you may have some words in exchange, but you sit back and you out loud look at them and you appreciate your improvement. You tell them, you say, you know what? You came, you got all up in my face, and you talking all that noise, and you know what? I appreciate that you got a response from the improved me. You tell them. And they're looking at you, they're like, why you, why you smiling? They're still mad. Why are you smiling? I'm smiling because all I did was cuss you out. The old me would have cussed you and cut you. Baby, that's improvement. Baby, that's, that's progress. You got all in my face. All in my face. And the response you got was from the improve me. All I did was tell you off. You got a response, baby, from the new me. Because the old me would have started throwing hands. I'm smiling because I'm appreciating the progress. I'm appreciating, I'm appreciating the improvement. That's why I'm smiling. You were two feet from me, yelling at me. And baby, you still got all your teeth. The old me would have put you in the position 
to have some serious dinner work. But you got to understand this smile on my face is because I'm appreciating the improvement. I am born again, doggone it. You was in my face. And all I did, all I did was roll my eyes and walk away. You don't understand, though, because the old me would have blackened both of yours. I don't know if you was paying attention, but while you were spitting that noise at me, my fists were balled up, but the new me would not let them fly. I'm appreciating the improvement. I know that I'm a work in progress. And knowing that I'm a work in progress does not mean when I do something I'm not supposed to do that I fall apart and go back to ground zero. I'm not going back to ground zero. I made the decision to re-engage life, and I'm going to do it. I made the decision, I'm going to re rebuild my life, and I'm going to do it. I may fall, I may slip, I may do an error, I may make a mistake. I get that. But I'm going to learn to appreciate the improvement. And you've got to appreciate that thing. And you don't have to just appreciate it. You know, I say talk it out loud. We don't want people to think you're crazy. So you might want to say it under your breath or keep it in your mind all to yourself. But what I want you to be doing is appreciating it. And not just for people. Appreciate yourself. Appreciate, as God is making improvements in you, appreciate the improvements in you. Say to yourself, talk to yourself. Say, listen, self, whatever your name is, Benjamin, Lisa, Greta, Tarana, Frank, Lucito. Talk to yourself. Tell, tell yourself, I appreciate, I appreciate the fact that the old me was drunk all the time. But the new me grows more and more stronger every day to walk away from that bottle. I appreciate that the old me yelled at my spouse. The old me just fussed at my children. The old me just said anything that came to my mind. But the new me is learning how to give a softer, quieter, more refined response. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that the old me would have wasted and spent every dollar that came in my hand. But the new me is becoming a wiser financial manager every single day. I appreciate that the old me wouldn't help anybody. But the new me 
is starting to look for opportunities to bless people. The new me is looking for opportunities to be of service. The new me is working on opportunities, always seeking, how can I do somebody good and make them happy? And I appreciate the new me that I'm seeing. It's not clear yet, but because I see the new me, in the horizon, I'm going to stick around for God's second touch. I appreciate that the old me would cry itself to sleep every night out of fear. But the new me gets up every day with more and more courage. I thank God that I appreciate that this old me would talk myself out of doing God's plan before I even got started. But the new me, the new me says, with God, I can do anything. Family, you got to appreciate that you are a work in progress. And when you said yes to Jesus, God came on the inside. The Holy Spirit began to reside, and he began to do a good work in you. And there is something really, really assuring about God doing a good work in you. And now I started off by saying, you know, when you get all these, you're cussing people out and all that. I'm, I'm a, let me be clear. Because your pastor is not condoning certain things. What am I not condoning? I thought enough to put it in print for you. I want y'all to read this with me. Where it says, to be clear, I want you to read that sentence. Ready? Let's go. To be clear, I am not condoning not getting better. That's another thing that, slip on your religious hat again, that people say that God is working on me so that they think that they can still be born again for 20 years and cuss for 19. And they'll tell you, God working on me. If God is working on you, my brother, we should see progress. He should be working on you. Your salvation is not a label, it's a lifestyle. God should be working in you. If you that kind of person that say, this is just how I am, God know how I am, yeah, he know how you are, and you lying if you think he can't change that. Wait, are you saying, did you just say that all things are possible? Didn't we just say God can do anything? Oh, God can move a mountain, but he can't change your cussing tongue. God can move a mountain, but he can't make you nicer. Is that what we're saying? That don't, that don't compute. I'm getting dizzy trying to think about it. Are you a believer or are you a make believer? Because the same God that you believe is going to get you that car and that house and that husband and that wife, if that's the God that you believe in and that God can't get you to pick another set of words out of the English language that's probably got a billion words in it, 
you lying to me. You want to cuss. And I'm, listen, let's keep it, let's keep it real. Sometimes cussing feel good. My wife know I I put down I put down my, I put down my cuss decades ago, but every now and then I will see somebody cuss somebody out, and I will say they earned that. <laughs> they earned and they got it, boy. I ain't even mad at you. I can't cuss like that no more. But you lay that thing down. And they deserve every F, every S, every A, everything you strung together. They deserve it. In Jesus' name, I forgive you. But I appreciate the laugh that you just gave me. Because you cussed them out right. <laughs> but, but believer, you shouldn't be cussing. Let the non-believer do that and just sit back and appreciate their work because they so good at it. But I'm not, I'm not condoning not getting better. You can't, you can't tell me that you're born again and you're a disciple of Christ and you're really in pursuit of being better, but you're not getting better. And what am I saying? I'm not condoning not getting better. I'm just saying that sometimes the fullness of better is not immediate. Sometimes the fullness of better excuse me, takes time. And if you take time to appreciate the improvement, as you're going through your little improvements, you will not be shaken or moved or motivated to disconnect from God before your second touch. I'm not condoning not getting better. What I'm saying is the God that's in you is doing a work in you, and that work that he's doing in you is something that is going to actually make you the better that you aspire to be. And there is a certain assurance that we get when we know that God is doing a work in us. That is correct. Yes, sir. Paul says it like this. Notice. This is in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, in the Amplified Classic and the voice. The Amplified Classic says, and I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ right up to the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. The voice, I am confident that the creator who has begun such a great work among you will not stop mid-design, but will keep perfecting you until the day Jesus, the anointed, our liberating king, returns to redeem the world. We don't have to debate whether or not you're going to make a mistake. You will. We don't have to debate whether you're going to slip and fall. You, 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 you will. 
I'm not wishing that on you, just the probability says that you probably will. But you must realize that you are a work in progress. And being a work in progress, just because you make an error, doesn't make you a failure. You're still on your way to being a success. And God is doing a work in you. And when God does a work in you, he does a good work. And when he's doing his good work, guess what? He will continue doing that work and developing you and perfecting you until you come to full completion. God is not going to disconnect from you mid-design. He's not going to get you halfway. God's not going to do anything but keep perfecting you. So just remind yourself that you are a work in progress. Remind yourself that I may not be who I want to be right now, but God, I'm not who I used to be, and I'm on my way to be who you designed me to be. God being with you is what keeps you Knowing that and believing that is what keeps you when you step from re-engage to rebuild. It'll keep your hands to the plow. So when you do make a mistake, do not let condemnation and fear grip you. Do not make it, do not allow it to anchor you to the floor and keep you from forward movement. Realize that you are a work in progress. And what you do when you fall, stand up. Amen. Stand back up. Don't wallow in it. Stand back up. Don't grovel in your tears. Stand back up. I'm not saying you won't cry, but stand back up. Hold your head up. Stick your chest out. Pull your shoulders back. And you walk forward knowing that the God you believe in will be with you all the way. And that he is not going to stop mid-design. I don't care what people say about you. I don't care what you say about yourself. As long as you stay with him, he is going to take you to full completion. Family. We put a bow on this thing right here. Next image. Remember where we, just, we already talked about Jesus healing the blind man. Notice this. Give me my next image, please. Now, this is in the Passion Translation. Passion Translation. Mark chapter 8, verse 22 to 25. Look at this for a moment because there's something different here that we want to bring out. Can you take me back up several images? The same scripture, but I think it was in the voice or the easy to read or it was a different. Yes. Notice this. Not reading it all the way through, but Jesus said after he touched him, <laughs> touched his eyes, what do you see? The blind man opened his eyes and went straight to the statement, I see people but they look like trees, walking trees, right? Keep that in mind. Go down to the next the slide, 16. 
Now, let's read it in the, in the Passion. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, begging him to touch him and heal him. So Jesus led him and his, as his sighted guide outside the village. He placed his saliva on the man's eyes and covered them with his hands. Then he asked him, now, do you see anything? The man said, yes, my sight is coming back. I am beginning to see people, but they look like trees, walking trees. Jesus put his hands over the man's eyes the second time and made him look up. The man opened his eyes wide and he could see everything perfectly. His eyesight was completely restored. Now let's drive home work in progress. You are a work in progress, loved ones. Do you notice anything curious about this translation? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The first one, Jesus touched his eyes and he just said, I see people like trees. This version, he says, my sight is coming back. That resonates to me because how else would he know people look like trees? This says to me that he used to have sight. But something happened to take his sight away. Loved ones, this can be you as you're on your way to rebuild, stepping out of re-engage to rebuild. You could have what you think is perfect sight, but something caused you to lose sight. You lose sight of your goal. You lose sight of your family. You lose sight of your marriage. You lose sight of your children. You lose sight of everything. You lose sight of your faith. You lose sight of your health. You lose sight. And when you lose sight, all of a sudden, you're walking blind. And if you stay in that position, you will not be able to get back on track. But I thank God, which is why your network is so important, that somebody led this man to Jesus. If you get off track, if you lose your sight, if you lose your vision, the prayer, and hopefully you've designed your network properly, is that someone will come in and be your sighted guide and lead you back to the path that you're supposed to be on. Once you're back with Christ, you go back through the process. You don't start back from ground zero. He didn't forget what people and trees looked like. He didn't have to learn it again. He only had to get his sight back again. You only need to clear the blinders from your eyes and keep moving. When you get back in line to where Jesus is now guiding you, hey, here comes your touch again. And once you're back in line with Christ and your eyes are wide open, you will begin to see everything perfectly again. You will be restored, 
And once you're restored, just keep moving. You are a work in progress. This is what people could consider what I just said, a backslider. You were running well. Who tripped you up? Doesn't matter who tripped you up. Just get up. Get up and keep moving. Because you are a work in progress. And we are not going to allow the enemy to trick you into feeling so bad about making a mistake that you stop. No, keep going. And what are you taking with you? The knowledge that, number one, I matter. Number one, I have value. Number one, God treasures me. Number one, God thinks I'm precious. Number two, God can do it, and I believe it. I believe he can do it in me, through me, with me, for me, and I believe that he will. And even when I slip and fall as a work in progress, he is going to keep doing a good work in me until I get perfected. All I got to do is stick around for the second touch. I love you, family. Mm. That's all for today. Let's pray. God, I thank you that each and every person here, if they haven't said yes to Christ, has a heart to receive Jesus. If they said yes to Christ, give them the confidence to continue to walk out this life in Christ, understanding that they're a work in progress. They don't have to do everything perfect. They just have to remain in perfect pursuit of you. You treasure them. Because of the relationship with Christ, the resources of heaven are an open asset. Let them stay completely confident and grounded in you as they launch out to rebuild those things in life that you've placed in their heart the things that they know that are necessary and the things that are just a wholesome desire. They take on that journey, the confidence that you are with them. And now if there's anyone who is not born again, if you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, if you want to be relationally in that circle of the family of God. Please raise your hand. Lord, we thank you that we have put forth everything that you've had for us to say today and that it's been received wholeheartedly in good ground. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.